we're glad that you're listening whenever you're listening. So John chapter 11, I'm beginning with verse 17. Again, the lectionary gave us 45 verses today, so it's worth reading the whole narrative, the whole chapter, but I'm just cutting it down to a few. So listen to the word of God. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. In verse 32. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Well, some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, in the midst of the many words that are both within us and all the distractions that are without us, even in the midst of the deafening silence, we come and ask that you, the living word, would open your words to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Years ago, I was being interviewed by a search committee, and they had already heard at least one of my sermons. And one of the first things they said as I was sitting in this room, um, one of the persons spoke up and said, we're interviewing you in part because you're the first person in the last 20 sermons who didn't quote a Tony Campalo story. Now, for those of you who don't know who Tony Campalo is, uh, for the last 40 years, he's been probably one of the most popular and dynamic preachers. He is a retired university professor from Eastern University, a sociologist. But first time I heard him was at an outdoor uh, Christian Woodstock event, kind of like that. And he's very dynamic, very funny, very prophetic. He's one of the most powerful voices in the evangelical world with a social conscience. Uh, and not without his controversies, but a really entertaining preacher. Of course, one of his many famous sermons, and I would encourage you to listen to it online, 
Um, many of us have some extra time on our hands, and I won't even try to imitate him. All right? But he comes from the Baptist tradition. For years, he was an associate at an African-American Baptist church. And one of his most famous sermons uh, is, it's Friday, but Sunday is coming. Okay? And it's this wonderful you know, call and response sermon about, and regardless of what we're facing, with the analogy of Good Friday, right? Sunday's coming. The resurrection is coming. Good Friday is here, but Easter is coming. You know, but it's not Easter yet. I once heard Dr. Danielle Hartman, who is president of the Shalom Hartman Institute in Israel, say this, Christianity's problem is that in Jesus, they see the fulfillment of God's plan. The perfect has come. But things are far from perfect if you look around the world. It does not appear that the Messiah is here yet, given the suffering and evil and violence and brokenness of the world. I think it's a good point. We profess Jesus is risen, which I believe. By faith, I adhere to that. But for us, many of us, Sunday seems very, very far away. It is not Easter yet. John 11, 25, 26 is a central statement from the Gospel of John. I am the resurrection and the life. It is a foundational statement in what Christians believe. As the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ not be risen, we of all people are most to be pitied. I probably use John 11, 25 and 26, in 90% of the funeral services I perform. But I make sure, when I use John 11, 25 and 26, to include the haunting, seemingly parenthetical statement uttered by both of Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary. When Jesus finally shows up, after their brother is dead, Jesus' friend who has died. And both of them say, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. To make sure we get the point, <laughs> John repeats it a third time in a different form. When the people say, see how he loved him. But a couple people murmured, but could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? You didn't quite show up in time. We needed you. You didn't make it. Now, of course, I'm assuming most of you know the story. Jesus will go on to heal Lazarus, right? The rest of you can read that if you haven't read it. The rest of the chapter, Jesus heals Lazarus. 
<laughs> in fact, one of my favorite verses in the King James Version, this is one of the great things about growing up in, as a kid and learning the King James Version is, um, you know, in verse 1139, okay? In the King James Version, when Jesus says, roll away the stone, Martha goes, Lord, he stinketh. Okay, we can all memorize that day. Lord, he stinketh. If you are shut up with people where showering and changing their clothes daily has become optional, it might become your new life verse. Lord, they stink. <laughs> yep, Jesus does raise Lazarus from the dead. Arguably, at least in John's gospel, it is the greatest miracle. Ironically, in John's gospel, it's one of the reasons the leaders decide to kill him. <laughs> you read the end of the chapter. The leaders get together, and they're going, wow, this guy can raise the dead. He's doing amazing things. I guess we need to kill him. It would be funny. It's almost like a Monty Python thing, right? <laughs> Something from the life of Brian. It would be funny if it didn't reflect an ongoing theme in human history. We kill the good and the innocent. We pave over or plow over or destroy the beautiful. And we manipulate, ignore, or distort the truth. And people die. It's not Easter yet. It wasn't even for Lazarus, right? The miracle did not stick, <laughs> right? right? It's pretty remarkable. He gets risen from the dead, but Lazarus eventually dies. Matter of fact, the tradition has him that he ends up having to flee to Cyprus. There is a St. Lazarus church in uh, Larnica, Cyprus, where his was initially buried. There's a great legend, according to tradition, Lazarus never smiled during the 30 years or so he lived after the resurrection because he worried about what he saw while he was dead. He worried about all the people he saw while he was dead. The only exception, okay, the only exception when Lazarus smiled is when someone, he saw someone stealing a pot one time, okay? Sounds better in Greek, but the expression goes, the clay steals the clay, and that made him laugh. We are clay, right? We are carbon-based life forms. Okay? From dust we come, isn't this how myth began, right? From dust we come, from dust we shall return. It's not Easter yet for either us, for us either, really. We are watching the number of cases of this virus grow exponentially. Now, part of that's because we're testing, but that's the way epidemics or pandemics work, okay? It, 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 it doesn't multiply mathematically, it's exponentially. And with that, the death rate continues to grow worldwide and in this country. This will get worse before it gets better. And I found, my, I found myself, you know, looking at the statistics 
kind of on a regular basis. And I was particularly watching the number of how many people died. And then I start remembering that those are, that's somebody's mother, that's somebody's husband, somebody's child, somebody's doctor, somebody's priest. Yesterday, somebody's baby. We spent a lot of time in denial, right? I mean, and frankly, denial is a really important defense mechanism, right? Those of us who had teenage drivers, every time we handed them the keys, it was an incredible act of denial, right? Um, and we, it's impossible for us, nor is it necessarily healthy for us to think about death every day. But just to give you a perspective, in a normal year, 5,500 people in this country die every day. So 55 multiplied by how many hearts are broken every day. Lives cut short by disease, by age, by accident, by human evil, by human negligence. Just so we don't forget, 22,000 children have died because of the Syrian civil war and are still dying. The coronavirus hasn't put that on pause on that. Over 200 civilians, 200,000 civilians have died in the Iraqi war. 31,000 Afghanistanis, Afghans, civilians have died. You know, we're like, we push that to the side, right? <laughs> we push that to the side. That's still going on. The point is, death is always happening around us. But most of us have the convenience not to think about it. Of course, until it comes close to home, until it's in our homes. But our faith knows this. Okay. Sometimes Christians can create kinds of faiths that act like they deny reality. I mean, there's all kinds of mythical religion out there. There's all kinds of distortions of Christianity, but the heart of Christianity knows that there is suffering in this world. The hope of Easter is held precisely in tension with the remarkable, incredible, tragic suffering of this world. As long as we live, it is Friday. And Sunday is something we always must wait for. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, I consider that the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. Creation groans with labor pains until creation has been revealed. And hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That begins Romans 8, 18. Following. I remember having a conversation with the great Paul scholar, J. Christian Becker of Blessed Memory, about this passage. 
person who had suffered apocalyptic things, had seen apocalyptic things, who was a slave laborer uh, during World War II by the Nazis and escaped the uh, decimation of the prison camp he was in when it was bombed by the Allies. And he lived in that torment the rest of his life. He was a tormented soul, but a, but a beautiful mind at the same time. And he said, it's not that the suffering is minimized. There's a lot of tragedy, tragedy that's alluded to in this passage. But the hope in the coming triumph of God is greater. It's not that the suffering is minimized. Some Christians do that. It's just that our hope is greater. And the pain. And Jesus wept that day because the coming triumph was not yet. Jesus wept even though he knew what he was about to do. It did not reduce the sorrow of those around him, nor in an even mysterious way did it reduce his own suffering. I often think that process, we, we took Jesus off the cross too soon. I think our iconology is a hopeful one, but not always a realistic one. My maternal grandfather was a character, any of you have heard me preach, you've heard me talk about him, and you've heard this story. Um, it took about four diseases to kill him. <laughs> he was... He was stubborn that way. And uh, he had had heart attack. He was fighting cancer. Um, and I got a call from my mom who had used up all her time off taking care of him, helping take care of him, that he had had an incident. I think he had another heart attack. And could I get down there first? He was in West Virginia. So I jumped in my car. And I, I drove down there as fast as I could. And I walked into the hospital. I think it was the Romney Memorial Hospital, Romney, West Virginia. And for the first time in my life, I was in my early 20s, for the first time in my life, this strong, rugged, frequently crude, always funny, sometimes mean, um, rugged individual, for the first time in my life, I saw fear in his eyes. I'd never seen that before, which was, to be honest with you, pretty unnerving. His eyes were kind of closed, and um, I found out it probably was not a heart attack, but I, I walk in the room, and he's, he's kind of out of it, and I say, Granddad, he opens up, he goes, Bill, how you doing, Granddad? He looked at me and said, Bill, I am so damn sick, I would have to get better to die. <laughs> so, you know, always was funny. <laughs> so I start laughing. Um, but then he said to me, I'm afraid, Bill. So we talked. And we prayed. And his 40-year argument with God 
40 plus years, probably 40, 50 year argument of God was resolved. About three months later, I buried him. I performed his funeral on the same day that my second son, Adam, was born. All right, there may be a temptation, the cue to the Lion King circle of life. Personally, I pass on that option. My grandfather's death did not diminish the joy and promise of the birth of my son that day. But if the truth be told, the birth did not diminish the sting and sadness of his death. But our faith encompasses both events and everything in between. It's not Easter yet, but someday it will be. So we should watch, we should love, we should care, we should be careful. We should mourn with those who mourn. We should serve. We should pray. We should be courageous. We should be compassionate. And we should wash our hands. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we, um, we lift up our hearts to you. We lift up all those right now who are sick, who are afraid. We worship, we lift up those who are fighting for their lives. We lift up those who are fighting for their lives, helping them to live. Lord, we pray for those in our own extended family who tested positive for this disease. We pray for Angela and the Worley family. And for all those we do not know. And Lord, be with those who are alone and who are hungry because of this. Particularly think of the millions of people in dire straits already in India. We do remember those children who are shivering in the cold. Those who have lost. Those who are living in fear. But Lord, we are not alone. You are with us. And you are moved by our pain. For you are our hope in this world and the world to come. Amen. Our closing song is um, the first two verses are um, um, Fernando Ortega's version of Giving Jesus, and then we add a little chorus here that we do in our churches. So you should um, see the slides show. Those of you who are, who are following with the white book, it's page 15 in the white book. In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, 
In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Give me Jesus. And when I am alone, oh, when I am alone, oh, when I am alone, give me Jesus, give me Jesus, give me Jesus, you can have all this Give me peace. would come after me, let them take up their cross and deny themselves and Let them Give me Jesus, give me Jesus, you can have all this world, give me Jesus. Now may blessings of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with us all to meet again either in this place, real or virtual, or in his kingdom come. Amen and amen. And I come from a tradition for our closing as you go away or, your, or stay where you're at. I, uh, I come from tradition when, you know, we, we sing about heaven when we're feeling sad or or have been drinking. So anyway, but we're in, the, we're, we're in church. So I haven't been drinking. I'm my way. Talk to you soon.